There's a lot of talk in the US and other countries at the moment about banning books and book censorship. This is an absolutely ridiculous notion, and this podcast and YouTube channel is 100% against the idea of book banning. It's an insane thing to do. But if your government is preventing you from accessing certain information through geo-blocking or government censorship, Surfshark VPN is here to help. With their No Borders feature, simply choose from one of their 3,200 plus servers and read whatever you please without any governmental interference. Use the link in the description or episode notes to get Surfshark VPN today for as little as $2.30 per month on a two-year plan, and read what you please without any censorship or geo-blocking. Have you ever received a call or text from a number that you don't know saying that a package you ordered hasn't been delivered because they need just a little bit more information from you? You don't remember ordering a package? and then start wondering how this scammer got your number. Well, anytime you go online and accept cookies or buy anything online, websites can keep your data and sell it to data brokers who create a digital ID of you. They can sell this digital ID to the highest bidder, and lo and behold, a bunch of scammers get a ton of information about you that you never agreed to give them. Well, with Ecogni, this is no longer an issue. All you need to do is sign up, and Ecogni will use the GDPR and CCPA and other privacy laws to get these companies to remove your data from their networks, protecting you and your data from scammers and anyone else who wants to use your data against you. Use the link in the description or episode notes and get Ecogni today for $6.49 a month on a one-year plan and protect your data and digital ID. Hello, and welcome to the Essential Reads podcast. I'm Isaac, and my goal is to bring to you a bunch of audiobooks from your favourite classic authors such as Orson Welles, Robert Louis Stevenson, John Steinbeck, and many more. Come join me on this journey to help get these books to the masses in an easy, accessible way. Let's start. They stood by the river in the starlight. Montag saw the luminous dial of his waterproof. Five. Five o'clock in the morning. Another year ticked by in a single hour and Dawn waiting beyond the far bank of the river. Why do you trust me? said Montag. A man moved in the darkness. The look of you is enough. You haven't seen yourself in a mirror lately. Beyond that, the city has never cared so much about us to bother with an elaborate chase like this to find us. A few crackpots with verses in their heads can't touch them. And they know it, and we know it. Everyone knows it. So long as the vast population doesn't wander about quoting the Magna Carta and the Constitution, it's all right. The firemen were enough to check that now and then. No, the cities don't bother us. And you look like hell. They moved along the bank of the river, going south. Montag tried to see the men's faces, the old faces he remembered from the firelight, lined and tired. He was looking for a brightness, a resolve, a triumph over tomorrow that hardly seemed to be there. Perhaps he had expected their faces to burn and glitter with the knowledge they carried, to glow as lanterns glow with the light in them. But all the light had come from the campfire, and all these men seemed no different than any other who had run the long race, searched a long search, seen good things destroyed, and now, very late, were gathered to wait for the end of the party, and the blowing out of the lamps. They weren't at all certain that the things they carried in their heads might make every future dawn glow with a purer light. They were sure of nothing, 
save that the books were on file behind their quiet eyes. The books were waiting, with their pages uncut, for the customers that might come by in later years, some with clean and some with dirty fingers. Montag squinted from one face to another as they walked. Don't judge a book by its cover, someone said, and they all laughed quietly, moving downstream. There was a shriek, and the jets from the city were gone overhead long before the men looked up. Montag stared back at the city, far down the river, only a faint glow now. My wife's back there. I'm sorry to hear that. The cities won't do well in the next few days, said Granger. It's strange. I don't miss her. It's strange. I don't feel much of anything, said Montag. Even if she dies, I realized a moment ago, I don't think I'll feel sad. It isn't right. Something must be wrong with me. Listen, said Granger, taking his arm and walking with him, holding aside the bushes to let him pass. When I was a boy, my grandfather died, and he was a sculptor. He was also a very kind man, who had a lot of love to give to the world, and helped clean up the slum in our town. And he made toys for us, and he did a million things in his lifetime. He was always busy with his hands. And when he died, I suddenly realized I wasn't crying for him at all, but for the things he did. I cried because he would never do them again. He would never carve another piece of wood, or help us raise doves and pigeons in the backyard, and play violin the way he did, or tell us jokes the way he did. He was part of us, and when he died, all the actions stopped dead, and there was no one to do them just the way he did. He was individual. He was an important man, and I've never gotten over his death. Often I think what wonderful carvings never came to birth because he died. How many jokes are missing from the world, and how many homing pigeons untouched by his hands. He shaped the world. He did things to the world. The world was bankrupt of ten million fine actions the night he passed on. Montag walked in silence. Millie. Millie, he whispered. Millie. What? My wife. Poor Millie. Poor, poor Millie. I can't remember anything. I think of her hands, but I don't see them doing anything at all. They just hang there at her sides. Or they lie on her lap. Or there's a cigarette in them. But that's all. Montag turned and glanced back. What did you give to this city, Montag? Ashes. What did others give each other? Nothingness. Granger stood, looking back with Montag. Everyone must leave something behind when he dies, my grandfather said. A child, or a book, or a painting, or a house, or a wall built, or a pair of shoes made, or a garden planted. Something your hand touched some way so your soul has somewhere to go when you die. And when people look at that tree or that flower you planted, you're there. It doesn't matter what you do, he said, so long as you change something from the way it was before you touched it into something that's like you after you take your hands away. The difference between a man who just cuts lawns and a real gardener is in the touching, he said. A lawn cutter might just as well not have been there at all. A gardener will be there a lifetime. Granger moved his hand. 
My grandfather showed me some V2 rocket films once, 50 years ago. Have you ever seen the atom bomb mushroom from 200 miles up? It's a pinprick. It's nothing, with the wilderness all around it. My grandfather ran off the V2 rocket film a dozen times, and then hoped someday our cities would open up more, and let the green and the land and the wilderness in more, to remind people that we're allotted a little space on Earth, and that we survive in the wilderness that can take back what it has given, as easily as blowing its breath on us, or sending the sea to tell us we are not so big. When we forget how close the wilderness is in the night, my grandpa said, some day it'll come in and get us, for we will have forgotten how terrible and real it can be. You see? Granger turned to Montag. Grandfather's been dead for all these years, but if you lifted my skull, by God, in the convolutions of my brain, you'd find the big ridges of his thumbprint. He touched me. As I said earlier, he was a sculptor. I hate a Roman named Status Quo, he said to me. Stuff your eyes with wonder, he said. Live as if you drop dead in ten seconds. See the world. It's more fantastic than any dream made or paid for in factories. Ask no guarantees. Ask for no security. There was never such an animal. And if there were, it would be related to the great sloth, which hangs upside down in a tall tree all day, every day, sleeping his life away. To hell with that, he said. Shake the tree and knock the great sloth down on its ass. Look! cried Montag. And the war began and ended in that instant. Later, the men around Montag could not say if they had really seen anything. Perhaps the merest flourish of light and motion in the sky. Perhaps the bombs were there, and the jets, ten miles, five miles, one mile up, for the merest instant, like a grain thrown over the heavens by a great sowing hand and the bombs, drifting with dreadful swiftness, yet sudden slowness, down upon the morning city they had left behind. The bombardment was to all intents and purposes finished once the jets had sighted their target, alerted their bombardiers at 5,000 miles an hour, as quick as the whisper of a scythe, the war was finished. Once the bomb release was yanked, it was over. Now, three full seconds... All of the time in history before the bombs struck, the enemy ships themselves were gone half around the visible world, like bullets in which a savage islander might not believe because they were invisible, yet the heart is suddenly shattered. The body falls in separate motions, and the blood is astonished to be freed on the air. The brain squanders its few precious memories, and puzzled, dies. This was not to be believed. It was merely a gesture. Montag saw the dirt of a great metal fist over the far city, and he knew the scream of the jets that would follow, would say, after the deed, disintegrate, leave no stone on another, perish, die. Montag held the bombs in the sky for a single moment with his mind and his hands, reaching helplessly up at them. Run, he cried to Faber, to Clarice, run! To Mildred, get out, get out of there! But Clarice, he remembered, was dead. And Faber was out. There, in the deep valleys of the country somewhere, the 5am bus was on its way from one desolation to another. Though the desolation had not yet arrived, was still in the air. 
it was certain as a man could make it. Before the bus had run another 50 yards on the highway, its destination would be meaningless, and its point of departure had changed from metropolis to junkyard. And Mildred, get out, run. He saw her in a hotel room somewhere, now in the half-second remaining with the bombs a yard, a foot, an inch from her building. He saw her, leaning toward the great shimmering walls of colour and motion where the family talked and talked and talked to her, where the family prattled and chatted and said her name and smiled at her and said nothing of the bomb that was an inch, now a half inch, now a quarter inch from the top of the hotel. Leaning into the wall, as if all the hunger of looking would find the secret of her sleepless unease there. Mildred, leaning anxiously, nervously, as if to plunge, drop, fall into that swarming immensity of colour, to drown in its bright happiness. The first bomb struck. Mildred! Perhaps, who would ever know? Perhaps the great broadcasting stations, with their beams of colour and light and talk and chatter, went first into oblivion. Montag, falling flat, going down, saw, or felt, or imagined he saw, or felt, the walls go dark in Millie's face. Heard her screaming, because in the millionth part of time left, she saw her own face reflected there, in a mirror, instead of a crystal ball. And it was such a widely empty face, all by itself in the room, touching nothing, starved, and eating of itself, that at last she recognised it as her own, and looked quickly up at the ceiling, as it, and the entire structure of the hotel, blasted down upon her, carrying her, with a million pounds of brick, metal, plaster, and wood, to meet other people in the hives below, all on their quick way down to the cellar, where the explosion rid itself of them, in its own unreasonable way. I remember. Montag clung to the earth. I remember. Chicago. A long time ago. Millie and I. That's where we met. I remember now. Chicago. A long time ago. The concussion knocked the air across and down the river, turned the men over like dominoes in a line, blew the water in lifting sprays, and blew the dust, and made the trees above them mourn with a great wind passing away south. Montag crushed himself down, squeezing himself small, ice tight. He blinked once, and in that instant saw the city instead of the bombs in the air. They had displaced each other. For another of those impossible instants, the city stood, rebuilt and unrecognisable, taller than it had ever hoped or strived to be, taller than man had built it, erected at last in gouts of shattered concrete and sparkles of torn metal into a mural, hung like a reversed avalanche, a million colours, a million oddities, a door where a window should be, a top for a bottom, a side for a back, and the city rolled over and fell down, dead. The sound of its death came after. Montag, lying there, eyes gritted shut with dust, a fine wet cement of dust in his now shut mouth, gasping and crying now, thought again, I remember. I remember something else. What is it? Yes. Part of her classtheses. And revelations. Part of that book. 
part of it. Quick now, quick before it gets away, before the shock wears off, before the wind dies. Book of Ecclesiastes. Here. He said it over and over to himself, silently. Lying flat to the trembling earth, he said the words of it many times, and they were perfect, without trying, and there was no Denim's dentrifice anywhere. It was just the preacher, by himself, standing there in his mind, looking at him. There, said a voice. The men lay, gasping like fish laid out on the grass. They held to the earth as children hold to familiar things, no matter how cold or dead, no matter what has happened or will happen. Their fingers were clawed into the dirt, and they were all shouting to keep their eardrums from bursting, to keep their sanity from bursting, mouths open, Montag shouting with them, a protest against the wind that ripped their faces and tore at their lips, making their noses bleed. Montag watched the great dust settle, and the great silence moved down upon their world. And lying there, it seemed that he saw every single grain of dust, and every blade of grass, and that he heard every cry and shout and whisper going up in the world now. Silence fell down in the shifting dust, and all the leisure they might need to look around, to gather the reality of this day into their senses. Montag looked at the river. We'll go on the river. He looked at the old railroad tracks. Or... We'll go that way. Or we'll walk on the highway now. We'll have time to put things into ourselves. And someday, after it sets in us a long time, it'll come out our hands and our mouths. And a lot of it will be wrong. But just enough of it will be right. We'll just start walking today. And see the world and the way the world walks around and talks. The way it really looks. I want to see everything now. And while none of it will be me when it goes in, after a while it'll all gather inside me. And it'll be me. Look at the world out there. My God, look at it out there. Outside me. Out there, beyond my face. And, and the only way to really touch it is to put it where it's really me. Where it's in my blood. Where it pumps around a thousand times. Ten thousand a day. And I'll get a hold of it so it will never run off. I'll hold onto the world tight someday. I've got one finger on it now. That's the beginning. The wind died. The other men lay a while on the dawn edge of sleep, not yet ready to rise up and begin the day's obligations, its fires and foods, its thousand details of putting foot after foot and hand after hand. They lay blinking their dusty eyelids. You could hear them breathing fast, then slower, then slow. Montag sat up. He did not move any farther, however. The other men did likewise. The sun was touching the black horizon with a faint red tip. The air was cold and smelled of a coming rain. Silently, Granger arose, felt of his arms and legs, swearing incessantly under his breath, tears dripping from his face. He shuffled down to the river to look upstream. It's flat, he said a long time later. City looks like a heap of bacon powder. It's gone. And a long time after that. I wonder how many knew it was coming. I wonder how many were surprised. And across the world, thought Montag. 
how many other cities dead? And here, in our country, how many? A hundred? A thousand? Someone struck a match and touched it to a piece of dry paper taken from their pocket and shoved it under a bit of grass and leaves and after a while added tiny twigs which were wet and sputtered but finally caught and the fire grew larger in the early morning as the sun came up and the men slowly turned from looking up the river and were drawn to the fire awkwardly with nothing to say and the sun coloured the back of their necks as they bent down Granger unfolded an oil skin with some bacon in it. We'll have a bite. Then we'll turn around and walk upstream. They'll be needing us up that way. Someone produced a small frying pan, and the bacon went into it, and the frying pan was set on the fire. After a moment, the bacon began to flutter and dance in the pan, and the sputter of it filled the morning air with its aroma. The men watched this ritual silently. Granger looked into the fire. Phoenix. What? There was a silly damn bird called a phoenix back before Christ. Every few hundred years he built a pyre and burned himself up. He must have been first cousin to man. But every time he burned himself up, he sprang out of the ashes. He got himself born all over again. And it looks like we're doing the same thing over and over. But we've got one damn thing that phoenix never had. We know the damn silly thing we just did. We know all the damn silly things we've done for a thousand years. And as long as we know that, and always have it around where we can see it, someday we'll stop making the goddamn funeral pyres and jumping in the middle of them. We'll pick up a few more people that remember. Every generation. He took the pan off the fire and left the bacon cool, and they ate it, slowly, thoughtfully. Now let's get on upstream said Granger, and hold on to one thought. You're not important. You're not anything. Someday, the load we're carrying with us may help someone. But even when we had the books on hand a long time ago, we didn't use what we got out of them. We went right on spitting in the graves of all the poor ones who died before us. We're going to meet a lot of lonely people in the next week and next month and next year. And when they ask us what we're doing, you can say we're remembering. That's where we'll win out in the long run. And someday, we'll remember so much that we build the biggest goddamn steam shovel in history and dig the biggest grave of all time and shove war in and cover it up. Come on now, we're going to go build a mirror factory first and put out nothing but mirrors for the next year and take a long look in them. They finished eating and put out the fire. The day was brightening all about them as if a pink lamp had been given more wick. In the trees, the birds that had flown away quickly now came back and settled down. Montag began walking, and after a moment found that the others had fallen in behind him, going north. He was surprised, and moved aside to let Granger pass, but Granger looked at him and nodded him on. Montag went ahead, he looked at the river and the sky and the rustling track going back down to where the farms lay, where the barns stood full of hay, where a lot of people had walked by in the night on their way from the city. Later, in a month or six months, and certainly not more than a year, he would walk along here again, alone, and keep right on going until he caught up with people. 
But now there was a long morning's walk until noon. And if the men were silent, it was because there was everything to think about and much to remember. Perhaps later in the morning, when the sun was up and had warmed them, they would begin to talk, or just say the things they remembered, to be sure they were there, to be absolutely certain that things were safe in them. Montag felt the slow stir of words, the slow simmer. And when it came his turn, what could he say? What could he offer on a day like this to make the trip a little easier? To everything, there is a season. Yes. A time to break down, and a time to build up. Yes. A time to keep silence, and a time to speak. Yes. All that. But what else? What else? Something. Something. And on either side of the river, there was a tree of life, which bare twelve manner of fruits, and yielded her fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Yes, thought Montag. That's the one. That's the one I'll say for noon. For noon. When we reach the city. Thank you so very much for listening. If you enjoyed, please like, comment, share, whack jazz. And if you really enjoyed, do subscribe, because there's more to come. That is the entirety of Fahrenheit 451. Thank you so very much for listening, and I hope that you enjoyed this book as much as I did. I fully understand why this book is a classic, and I fully understand why there's some people that wanted it banned back in the day. But I'm so glad we've got access to it now on websites such as YouTube and just online anywhere. Thank you so much for joining me on this journey. Once again, I thank you, and until next time, bye-bye. Thank you so very much for listening. If you enjoyed, please leave a review. And if you really want to support me, share this chapter with your friends, family, and whoever you feel would enjoy it. And if you really wish to support me, head to my Patreon. The link is in the episode notes. If you choose to follow the podcast, you'll have three new chapters per week, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. Once again, I thank you for listening. And until next time, bye-bye.